that I entitled today, which is the second part of our second Peter series, I entitled it Defending the Word. And I want to begin with this idea. I believe that God is still speaking today. I know that for many of us, we think that in many ways, God has only talked to a few people and it was a long time ago. I disagree with that. I think he has talked to all of us in some way, shape or form. And I think he's still talking today. Now, that may be unusual to you. And I believe that he speaks in many different ways. And granted, some of these are bizarre, but I believe that today God still speaks through dreams. I still think God speaks audibly. I think that he speaks through angelic visitation, through circumstance, through intuition, conscience, through other people, through preaching and teaching and things like that. The problem is, is that I'm really nervous about some of the ways that God speaks to us for two main reasons. The first one is our modern day inability to discern the voice of God. Um, a lot of us wouldn't know if God was talking to us if he dropped a rock on our head. I have a little bit of a nervousness because there's not as much of a desire to go hear God or a chasing after to hear God or a slowing down to hear God or a cleaning out your world so you can hear God. There's much more of a demand of God. If you want my attention, you need to come get me while I'm running in a really loud room. That's pretty much what we are demanding of God. However, you may well find that God would speak in a still small voice and there's no way we're going to hear him because we're not listening. The other reason I get nervous about some of these ways that we think that God communicates with us is because of Satan and his demons amazing ability to be ventriloquists. Where they will communicate and you'll go, was that you, God? And they sound very similar. So we can either say God isn't talking or we can say God is talking. I think he is talking. Now, the question is, is how is he communicating to us and what can we rely on? I think that all these things God may be sharing through, but in light of the possible confusion... Isn't it nice that we have a sure foundation by which to check it against? And we do. It's called the Bible. God is not going to contradict himself. You may hear all sorts of messages, but what must they always be matched against? The word of God. Satan, the total and complete truth. There's nothing in it for him. So why would he want to do that? So if what you're receiving is, the, is identical with Scripture, there's a pretty good probability that God may be communicating with you. But if it's against Scripture, you've got to throw it out. It's just not legit. But praise God that we have an enormous collection of books where God is communicating what He desires for us to do. The fill in the blank in front of you is true, in my opinion. And it's something that I bet my life and my job and my family on, which is this. The Bible is the primary way God conveys truth to the world. The Bible is the primary way. It doesn't say it's the only way. It is the primary way. The Bible is the primary way God conveys truth to the world 
But just because it was written a long time ago and mailed to a different address doesn't mean it's not applicable to you or me. We seem to relegate the Bible as to something that we can just kind of pick and choose and it may or may not apply at some point. This Bible is to train us for life. We need it because it conveys about the Savior that we love. That's why it's so important. And when you start talking about Bible stuff, all these fancy words get thrown around. Revelation, inspiration, right? Uh, Stuff like that. Interpretation. Peter, who wrote this book, one of Jesus' best friends and closest allies, begins to communicate to us on a little bit of revelation, but talks a lot about inspiration. Where did the Bible come from? Who wrote it? And why do we care? If the Bible is merely the opinions of man, then everything's kind of up for grabs. If the Bible is written by God, then it's much more than a suggestion. It's a rule of living. So what do we think Peter is going to share with us? Well, let's dive into it. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. It is page 860 in the Bibles handed to you. 860. It's in the New Testament. It's almost all the way to the right in case you're trying to find it. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 12. And we're just going to read through chapter 2 verse 3. So not a huge passage, but plenty to sink our teeth into. Let me just go ahead and read through it. And you kind of have a lot of questions. Then we're going to pray, back up, and I'll tear it apart for you. I'll break it down and help you understand a little bit more of maybe what God is sharing with us. So let's just kind of, you can follow along with me here. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He, he moves on. He says, so I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and you're firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. 
Their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you, Lord, that we would have an opportunity to even hear from you. That you would have had things written down that you want to say to us right here and right now. Things that would change our lives. But Lord, we would in many ways desire to control you. To only pick and choose what we want to hear, what we want to engage with. I ask, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, soften us, that we might receive what you have for us. For you are God and we are not. Would you speak to us, for we are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is what Peter says. Pretty practical. He says, so I always want to remind you of these things. Remind you of what? Well, the truth about Jesus. He said, I always want to remind you of this stuff. Even though I know that you know him and that you're firmly established in the truth that you have. Why is he reminding a bunch of Christians stuff they already know? Why would he do that? Because we have an incredible ability to forget. Right? The other day... I just taught at William Jessup University. I taught two of their chapels. So I preached this message in a rather large environment. And then the following week, just this last week, I was asked to teach a class. So I came in to a preaching class and I was telling them how I put together messages and I shared a short message with them on Romans. And I was talking with this one gal in the class and I said, uh, hey, what'd you think of uh, the chapel messages? And she goes, I really, really like the second one. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that was the one about, um, you know, God not being in a box and he does some really bizarre things and we don't have a grasp on him. We can't get our arms around him. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, what'd you think of the first one? She goes, she goes, now remind me again, what was that one about? And I go, yeah, I have no idea. I did not remember what I preached the week before I literally examined every ounce of my brain and it existed nowhere. <laughs> if I don't remember my messages, how in the world are you going to remember my messages? My wife doesn't remember my messages, right? So come on, we have to be reminded of stuff because we forget everything. There's all this other information flooding your minds and your hearts, pushing all that stuff out. No, I, you can't even remember what I taught on last week, right? So yeah, we got the podcast we listened to and we got, we have to be reminded. We must have a steady diet of the word in our lives. Why? Because we need our minds changed. We have to get our heads into a different worldview. We've got to change our perspective and think like God thinks. I believe that there is a story that is taught in Scripture that underlines this better than anything else. It's the famous story of Jesus walking on the water, right? So many people know this story. If you've been in church for a long time, I apologize. I know you, you probably know this stuff backwards and forwards. Well, some of us are new. So let me recap it. Jesus is walking across the water and comes upon the boat with all the disciples in it. Well, at that point, they start engaging him in conversation. Well, he even says that they're able to come out to him. One guy steps out. Who is that guy? Peter, the guy that wrote this book, right? 
So Peter steps out, and as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he does what? He walks on water. That's impossible. But he does the impossible because of where his eyes are locked. They're locked on Christ. Literally, as long as he's looking into the eyes of his Savior, the rest of the stuff doesn't really matter. He's not thinking about how impossible it is. He's looking at Jesus on the water. So clearly it's possible. So he goes on the water. He starts walking. But what happens? We all know the story. He takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking at his what? Circumstances, the waves. And when he begins to look at the waves, he starts to sink. All right. This is the exact reason why we have to have a steady diet of God's word into our lives. Because the world's constantly vying for our attention. And we will turn around and look at the waves and go, this is impossible. Forget it. When you get in the Bible, you're looking Jesus in the eyes. And he keeps going, look at me, look at me. I'm walking on water. You can do this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And we do that by reading God's word. I understand that if you read it once, it has an impact, an interest level, but that's not sufficient for growth. It's not as interesting the second time, but it's more impactful. We only like reading things for interest level. For example, if I start telling a story you already know, you start to tune out. As opposed to examining it the second time and trying to apply it. For us to grow, you've got to hear it over and over and over. How many times did you tell your children how to tie their shoes before they tied their shoes? A lot. Right? We're no different. We're still children. And we're still growing up. He said, so I'm always going to remind you of these things, even though you know them, and you're firmly established in the truth that you now have. For I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Why do you call his body a tent? Because the Christian worldview is what? We're just passing through. This flesh that we have now will be changed. It will be transformed at some point when we're glorified and we get to go to heaven. But really, this particular tent is only temporary. It's not a building. It's a tent. Because tents get to move. And we're just passing through. So Peter and Paul had a very similar view that they were very much under the idea of going, I want to get out of here. Not really liking it down here, actually. It's pretty hard. It's hard to live. I can't see my Jesus eye to eye anymore. I really want to go where he's at. So they really had this idea of wanting to pass through. Paul even said, I desire to go there, but I know that you need me. So I'm going to go ahead and hang out here until God takes me home. But I'd much rather be there. He said, I need to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside. As our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. How does he know he's going to die? Isn't that what he just said? It is. And as a matter of fact, we have three choices. Maybe it's because he's getting older. The estimates are he's probably in his 70s. That's pretty young, in my opinion. In that age, that was a lot older 
they lived in very harsh circumstances. Their mortality rate was much higher and very younger, very much younger than us. But still, all the disciples except for John died relatively early. Maybe it's just so the fact that he's going, you know, I'm getting a little bit older and the persecution is heating up. I'm in prison already in Rome. I'm probably going to die soon. That's been made pretty clear. Maybe that's what he means. Or maybe he received a recent dream or a communication from God. Or Jesus Christ literally goes, you're almost out of here. Or he's referring to a prophecy that was given him 40 years prior. You know what I'm talking about? It comes in the book of John. If you remember, and as a matter of fact, I'll read it for you. It's John 21, 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But listen to this. Here was the story. Remember, when Jesus was about to be crucified, Peter did what? He denied Christ three times. Okay, so he denied Christ three times. He feels horrible about himself. Jesus raises back from the dead, sees all the guys, takes Peter on a walk. Remember that? And he gives him the reinstatement. He says, come on, back in the ministry, buddy. Come on, we can do this. I forgive you. Let's move forward. But then he starts talking to him about the way he's going to die. Do you remember that part of the story? This is what it sounds like. As Jesus is walking with Peter, he tells him this. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And lead you where you don't want to go. And it says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Well, that's pretty sobering. That's uncomfortable stuff. Hey, buddy, you're back in the ministry. We're ready to go. I'm going to have you head up the Christian church here in Jerusalem. By the way, you're going to die. And you're going to die in a pretty brutal manner, just to let you know. By the way, I want you to follow me. All right. When he said that, Peter knew that until his time came, he was immortal, right? Because really, until Jesus determines it, all of us are immortal, right? So as he's going through his life, maybe he's reflecting on this. He's starting to look at the persecution, puts two and two together, and he's going, I'm already in chains being led to where I don't want to go. We're about to check out of here. I'm about to die. Now, does everybody remember what tradition says how he died? Do you remember that? His arms were indeed stretched out. You remember that? His hands were stretched out upon a, a cross, but he refused to be crucified like his Lord, so he had him turn it upside down so he was crucified upside down as a matter of fact this is the last letter that he wrote before he was crucified upside down right after this so he knows he's going to die and he's trying to remind them of stuff listen to what he says next he says and i will make every effort everything i can do to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things that word for departure is pretty neat. It's the word exodus. The way he views moving out of this life is I'm going from bondage to the promised land. That was the same word used for Jesus dying on the cross. The exodus out. Heading out. Going somewhere far better. He said, after I leave, I want you to remember everything I told you. How's he going to do that? He knows that everybody is not all that intelligent. There's no way we're going to remember all that stuff. Is he referring to 
First and second Peter. He already wrote him one letter. He just wrote him a second letter. Maybe that's what he means. In those two letters, which are inspired scripture, maybe there it's going to lock it down. Or is it possible that he had some inkling that his young protege that followed him around was going to write a really important book? Do you guys remember what book that is? But the Gospel of Mark. Do you understand the Gospel of Mark? We have four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only two of them were disciples. Matthew and John, the only guys that walked with Jesus. Who in the world are Mark and Luke? Mark wrote Peter's gospel. We already know what happens when Peter writes a letter, right? He wrote this one and it was a big crayon. Okay, he doesn't know what he's doing. But little John, ah, he knows what's going on. As a matter of fact, from the earliest records, the early church knew exactly who wrote Mark and why. John Mark wrote Peter's gospel. So you want to start with the book of the Bible. Actually, you want to start with the book of Mark. You read it. That's Peter. That's his view. Mark wrote down what he heard. Is that what he's referring to? That he would say all these things are going to be chronicled out. So when I leave, you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe. In one of my seminary classes, I was given the task of planning my funeral. That was my job. One of my assignments was to write my funeral. Who do I want to speak? What do I want them to talk about? Who needs to be included? How does it need to go? Why? Because when I die, I don't need everyone else to be making those decisions for me. I'm going to suggest that you need to do the very same thing. Why? Because we're all going to be stressed out when you pass away, and we don't need to be making more decisions if you already know. So it was asking me a series of questions about my funeral and different things that I need to arrange. And you have to stop and go, what do I want people to be left with? Is there a message you want to convey to everybody? And what do you want to tell them about God? Don't think, oh, well, they're going to know. No, we're not going to know. Tell us. Write it down. What do you want us to know about God? And be honest. What do you want us to know about Jesus Christ? Peter said, I wrote two letters. I know this whole gospel thing is going to come out to you because I got to get out of here. And I want you to know the truth. What are you going to convey to your kids? What are you going to convey to your grandkids and your great-grandkids? What do you want us to know? Hmm. He said, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word is myths. He's like, it's not like we just followed a bunch of stupid ideas that someone made up. No, that's not what we did. He said, as a matter of fact, we were eyewitnesses. Here's Peter's thinking, these people don't get it. I was there, saw it with my own two eyes. I was an eyewitness, what our court of law still relies on. You go, eyewitness is very subject to problems and blah, blah. Okay, but it's still somewhat trustworthy especially when it's corroborated by multiple witnesses that will actually put you away for life and perhaps send you what to death the eyewitness of someone else peter was there and he's writing with absolute confidence saying it's not like i'm making this stuff up i was there an eyewitness and he uses a word that was common in the day for mystery religions 
The way it would work in these bogus mystery religions is you'd have an understudy, someone that would have to travel with the group, see everything, learn everything, hands down, be able to duplicate it, then they could become eyewitnesses and become part of it. It was a technical word Peter just used. He said, I walked with a guy, I learned it, I lived it. I was there. We were eyewitnesses, he said. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, he's about to talk about a story that not every one of us knows. It's the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Everybody remember this story? Here's how it went. Jesus had 12 buddies, but he had three that were super close to him. Peter, James, and his brother, John. Peter, James, and John got to do a lot of neat things, so they got to see kind of the inner circle of what was going on with Jesus. One day, Jesus takes them up on a mountain by themselves, away from the other guys, and a cloud descends upon them, and a voice comes out of the cloud from heaven. Moses and Elijah show up on this mountain where literally they get a chance to see these two big dogs from the Old Testament that they grew up learning about. How they knew it was them, I have no idea. I'm assuming it was like t-shirts that says Elijah on it and the other one says Moses. Or they went, oh, it's just like the movies, right? I don't know. Anyway, they see Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus. What are they doing? They're talking to Jesus about his coming death. Why those two guys? Moses stands for what? The law. Elijah stands for what? The prophets. An intriguing piece is that you have Moses representing what? Ancient Israel and the law. And you have Elijah who never died. Intriguing. Does he represent the church? Huh. Anyway. So here they're sitting up there and Peter says something stupid. Remember, Peter always says something stupid. So he immediately goes, oh, you guys need to stay the night. Um, let us, we're going to start making you guys some tents and you guys can hang out. We'll make it comfortable. Jesus is just looking at him like, Peter, really? Okay, this is kind of a big deal. And I'm talking with, all right, whatever, man. Just sit there for a second. And then they're gone. That incident rocked Peter's world. And he kept writing about it. He said, what I saw when Jesus began to get enveloped by this cloud is I started seeing him shine from the inside out. He literally looked like the sun. He was bursting with light. And I saw his glory. I saw his majesty. I saw him as the king. He really is. I mean, down here in this world, when he walked with us, the guy was so normal. He wasn't even that good looking. He was just a regular guy, just like us. But when I saw him change, oh, I knew that he was something amazing. So he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, that's the cloud, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Which, by the way, if you're interested in underlining stuff in your scripture, underline the phrase, this is my son whom I love. What God the Father just did is he said, he is one with me in essence. 
He just called Jesus God. Because God only begets God. God's son must be God. Or else it's not God at all. Understand? That's a powerful phrase. We move on. But let me just ask you a question. Must Jesus come visibly in every generation for us to believe him? Because that's really what we keep saying. Till I see it with my own eyes. Till I see it with my own eyes. Okay, really? So Jesus is going to come here and die just so you can see him with your own eyes. When is eyewitness testimony and written document enough? What he has to come to every person? Do you understand that's a different world? That's called heaven. We're not there yet. Oh, then you'll all see him. But right now, no, you can't see him. And yes, you have to rely on testimony. He does not need to come to everybody. I know us in our little arrogant, egocentric worlds, we think that God needs to come and tailor to us and tell us exactly what he's like and what he's up to. But he is God. No, he's not going to come to you. No, you don't get to see the Son of God unless He returns in your lifetime. No, that's not going to work until you transfer out of this life. It's a matter of faith. Are you ready to trust the eyewitnesses who died for this? Do you understand? Every disciple died for this. John lived longer, but everyone dies. They died for what they believed to be true. They said, I saw it. I was there. Is the Bible accurate or is it not? If it is, then we live by it. He moves on, he says, because of this, me seeing Jesus transformed right in front of my eyes, because of this powerful reminder that Jesus Christ is a mighty warrior king, knowing that someday he's going to come again and rescue us, for those reasons, it says, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. In other words, what we just experienced, locked in, that everything in the Old Testament is legitimate. He said, we saw it. We know it's all about Christ. Man, boy, are we convinced. He said, and you'll do well to pay attention to it. Meaning if I'm convinced, I'm just telling you, you need to pay attention to this. Like a light shining in a dark place, the word of God helps you navigate through a very confusing world. It helps you see truth where there seems to be no absolutes. It says until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until Jesus gets back, we need a guide. And the Holy Spirit tends to work through Scripture. Above all, he said, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, came about by a prophet's own interpretation. That word in Greek means to be loosed. No prophet made it up. Or it came out of his own heart. Or it came out of his own head. If it's prophecy, which is what we believe Scripture to be, it is directly from God. Some guy didn't make it up. If some guy made up the Bible, I will throw mine away. You understand? I am not going to hinge my eternal life on some guy's opinion. That's not going to fly. So either it's legit or it's not. I believe that it is. I believe that these are the very words of God written through the agency of different men. Why do I believe that? Look at the next phrase. It says... For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.16 calls it God breathed. Whoa. How did that work? The Holy Spirit 
moving through guys, through their personalities, knowing exactly how they were built, exactly how they write, knowing exactly their life scenario and circumstance, starts giving them words to say. Not in a way of going, all right, what's that? And then you write down, what? No, it's not like that. He's literally coursing through them in a natural way to where they're writing down what their heart is absolutely determined to say. But who's the one pulling the controls? The Holy Spirit. The original autograph that they wrote down is without error. You understand what I'm saying? How, how many original autographs do we have of Scripture? None. Oh, it can't be trusted. Yeah, it can. Why? Because we got thousands of things to cross-reference and check. We got a whole bunch of manuscripts. We laser cross-check them all the time. Make sure that what is here is solid and legit. I'm very convinced. But make no mistake. This is God speaking to man. He said, but... There are also false prophets among the people. And that's a phrase for Israel, Old Testament. He said, there were false prophets a long time ago, and there's going to be false teachers among you. So can we please be accurate about what we're believing and what we're teaching? You don't just teach what you want. You don't just make stuff up. You don't just throw around your opinions lightly. He said, there are false teachers around Now, I want to make a clarification before we move on. I believe there's a big difference between misunderstanding and misleading. Two different categories. Check this out. There are leaders who are misunderstanding. I think they are in the majority. Okay? A misunderstanding leader is a leader who really believes what he's telling you. It's just bogus. Where somehow he's gotten involved in some bad theology or some bad teaching. Now he's had a bunch of people around him. They all believe and agree with him. And they reinforce it. And he's completely confident in garbage. And as he's teaching you, his heart is good. He loves the Lord. But really, he or she is communicating to you untruth. Not on purpose, but with good hearts and really wanting to help you out. It's just not legit. I think that's the majority. I think that's the majority of false teaching that is out there. That is different. That is misunderstanding. With those, you need to sift, have grace for the teacher, and realize, man, I'm sorry that you really believe that. I don't think that's accurate in Scripture. So I'm going to have to gently instruct you and go, no, I don't think that's right. No, that's not. I'm not going to receive that. That's not okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. But then there are misleaders. Yeah? They're misleading on purpose. They know it's garbage. They know they made it up. They know they're lying through their teeth. And they're preying on the weak and the hurt and the poor and the disenfranchised. And they're abusing and exploiting. Those people make me mad. You want to get me riled up? Start talking about those folks. They drive me insane. Uh, the, the injustice of it all, the justice in my heart rises up and I want to rip their head off. How dare you use God for leverage to abuse another person and steal from them? Boy, that stuff. I mean, talk about when you saw Jesus get irritated. Only a couple times he lost his cool. Do you remember that? One of those was over this. 
Listen, if you know of a leader that is knowingly leading people astray, they need to be taken care of. Most of the false teaching that we have in Christianity today is ignorance. So please handle them a little bit differently. What Peter is attacking are those that are misleading on purpose. And this is what he says about them. There are also false prophets among the people, and there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce, that's the word for infiltration, destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, meaning they're literally attacking the one Savior that showed up to save the world. Why would you do that? You attack the only good guy? What is wrong with you? Bringing swift destruction on themselves. And many will follow their shameful ways. That word means not to care what God thinks. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Does Christianity have a good uh, reputation with the world? No. Come on. Really, how much time do you have to spend fixing stuff that's all messed up about Christianity. You can't even start talking about the Lord without going back for an hour and talking about all the screwed up stuff. Right? I mean, that's how it works with your neighbor. Right. Because a bunch of idiots have come through and ruined it. Some of those idiots are me and us. But we're ruining it. We're bringing the truth into disrepute because we're not handling it rightly. We're not talking accurately. We're not sharing it rightly. We're adding in all our own opinions. Then someone gets totally disappointed in God because they put their trust in what we thought. Well, that's not effective. So we stay true to the word of God. He said, I get it. It's going to bring us into what? Question. It says, Many will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. The word in Greek for exploit is commercialize. They will commercialize you. They will use you as an ATM machine. They knowingly know what buttons to push to get cash out of your pocket. That's it. With stories that they have made up. In Greek, that means plastic words. Plastic words that are manufactured to suit your own business, right? It's what we refer to as plastic. It's not like they had plastic. Are we all cool on that one? All right, good. Their condemnation, he finishes, has been long hanging over them, meaning it always looks like they're getting away with it. These bogus teachers are teaching, 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 having radio shows, TV shows, right, for a long, long time, getting in tons of cash, making huge empires, and it always looks like they get away with it. It says their destruction, condemnation has been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. What does that mean? It's on its way. Don't worry, nobody gets away with anything. All right. We need a steady diet of the Word in our lives for Christians. Let me speak to a moment, for a moment, to those that are visitors. Um, for some of you, you came in for the kids and you listen to me get loud and yell and do all my thing, right? And for some of you, it's really irritating. You're so tired of everyone's opinions about what the Bible says and God says this, and it's really rubbing you wrong. 
because you think of all the things about, well, this teacher teaches this and this teacher teaches that. You know what? We don't know. All right. I got a challenge for you. You ready? Read it for yourself. Don't wait for me to tell you. You don't want to trust me? I get it. I probably wouldn't trust me either. All right. But you read it. Go sort out on your own what God's trying to tell you. You cannot wait for me. Do you understand that once a week getting a meal is not enough? All right. Do not wait for me to tell you what the Bible says. You got to read it on your own. But if you are frustrated with a bunch of men running around telling you different things, then stop listening to them. Read it on your own. You're going to go, well, it's a big book. You're right. It's a collection of 66 books. Start in the book of Mark. You can remember that. Write it down. Look in the index. Find Mark. Start there. When you finish that one, that's going to tell you about Jesus. When you finish that, read the first book. It's called Genesis. All right? After that, shoot. Go wherever you want. But what I'm telling you is, if you're frustrated, then stop it. Don't let other people keep telling you what to do. You do it. It's not an anger thing. It's a, please don't let me keep hindering your walk with God. I know that everybody has all these views. Then sort it out. But please don't reject it just because of idiots. Please don't throw away the greatest gift that God ever gave us which is the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not throw it away just because you're frustrated. It's worth it. Sort it out. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's get out of here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today that, Lord, you are amazing and you have loved on us so much. And your book is filled with your love and correction and teaching and instruction and things that help us navigate through this messed up world. And I just pray, Lord, that we would fall in love with you and fall in love with what you've written. That, Lord, that the more and more we read it, the more we know you, the more we get excited about you and our whole world takes on a different tone. God, make us lovers of the word, that we would correctly handle the word of God, that we would know what we're talking about and we would sort it out and study it. And Lord, that this steady diet would help us to grow strong in you. Father, would you change us through the Bible in Jesus name? Amen.